on behalf of the church and pastoral staff, Merry Christmas to all of you who are in person or in a breezeway or online. Thank God that we can come together in a special way. Uh, today we have children with us, we have youth, uh, we have young adults, young marrieds, uh, we have middle age and seniors. We truly come together as a family. And special welcome to those who are returning from college and from out of state to come together for a reunion. Uh, just welcome all of you and thank God that we are able to come together. And especially for you, uh, those who are coming here for the first time, if you have a visitor, uh, we want to just extend our hospitality and welcome to you. Uh, thank you for worshiping together with us. Uh, on behalf of the pastors, I just want to thank you all for the Christmas gift that you have given us. Uh, we can't just thank everyone in person, but I just want to make it public that thank you all for extending your love uh, to all the pastoral staff uh, during this season. The uh, sermon topic today is Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. I know for some old-timers, you remember a Christmas hymn uh, called Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And for many of us, we never heard of that song probably. Uh, this is a song written by Charles Wesley, the founder of Wesley movement, uh, the younger brother. The older brother is John Wesley, the younger brother is Charles Wesley. In 1744, so you talk about 250 years ago, a song called Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. The longing expressed in a song is the same longing that Simeon, that we will preach today, has expressed in this passage. And you can feel the longing as you read the passage together with me in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 35. Let's read together God's Word. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in a child Jesus to do him, for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed to the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own souls also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You know, we don't often preach Simeon's during Christmas season. The main characters are Jesus, of course, Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the Magi, and others. And Simeon is more like a secondary role. But this year I picked Simeon because I see a lot of commonalities 
that we together as modern men and women will be able to relate to Simeon together. So the first point I want to share with you is Jesus is born into a pious family. In verses 22 to 24, say, When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem and present Him to the Lord, which is written in the law of the Lord, that every male, the firstborn male who first opens a womb, shall be called holy to the Lord, dedicated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. See, the journey that Jesus' parents took to the temple combined two separate ceremonies. The first ceremony is the purification of Mary. The purification of the moment after birth will be considered as ceremonially unclean in the Jewish culture. So it would be like 40 days after the birth of a child, you will come to the temple to offer a burnt offering, usually is a one-year-old lamb, and sin offering that involves turtle doves and pigeons. And when we see that Joseph and Mary was offering just the turtle doves and the pigeon, it is an indication that probably they are from a poorer family. So that's a, that's a, a, a given for a poorer family to be able to do that as well. But secondly, they came not only for the purification of Mary, but also for the presentation of a firstborn to God. Now, where does it come from? You have to trace it all the way back to Exodus. You know, after 10, ten plagues inflicted on the Pharaoh, he finally relented and let Israelites get out of bondage, of slavery, and be freed. In the 10th plague, you remember, it was a slaughtering of the firstborn in Egypt. All the Egyptians firstborn and their animals firstborn were all slaughtered except the Hebrews, except the, the Israelites firstborn. And they were given a way of slaughtering a lamb and using the blood and painted on the doorpost so that the firstborn can be spared. And since then, the Lord told the Israelites that because the firstborn were spared by the Lord, so the firstborn will be dedicated to the Lord for the service. Of course, later, the Lord have chosen the tribe of Levi to stand on behalf of all the firstborn to serve Lord specifically, and they will take their place. But every time when they carry on that custom of dedicating the firstborn to the Lord, it is a memory of God's great deliverance and a sign to the children that the fact that you are able to be here today is because of God's work. He brought you out, out of Egypt. Okay, so far so good. Histories, background, understanding. So what's the point? See, what is Luke trying to say? He, he is basically saying that Jesus was raised in a deeply pious family. And they are observant Jewish who will abide by the requirements of the custom and the law to do what is right before God. So Jesus came from a family that honors God. You see, Jesus' upbringing was not anti-religion or anti-establishment. Jesus' confrontation with the religious leaders in his public ministry later was not an indication that he was raised as a fanatic holding extremist view against religious institution. In fact, he came from a very good family, a very religious family. He cares deeply about God's truth 
And He wants to make sure that we are doing the right thing that pleases God. But why is it important to talk about this in the Gospel of Luke? Remember, Luke was writing a well-researched account about Jesus to a Gentile believer, probably a new convert called Theophilus, and hoping that he will find certainty in his belief, confirming his belief it's worthwhile to follow. And Theophilus was addressed as most excellent in Luke chapter 1, you remember that. And this implies that he might be from an upper-class background, holding important status and position. And, and to him, following Jesus might risk everything that he has. And he might also be wondering, you know, he being a Gentile believer and worshiping and interacting together with Jewish believers, does it fit in or not? So all this gone through his mind. So Luke was writing this gospel to help him to be certain of his belief. Luke is convincing Theophilus that Jesus was raised in a godly family. He is truly the Son of God, and He is worth everything that you hold on to. Follow Jesus. Follow Him. Press on. And that's the first point. Almost like a background. But the key is the second point. Jesus' salvation has a global impact. In verses 25 to 32. Verse 25 says there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. To assure Theophilus that Jesus was indeed the Lord, Luke used the testimony of credible people like Simeon. And Simeon possessed three essential characteristics of a pious person. First of all, it says he was righteous. What do you mean by righteous? It means that his behavior in the sight of God and toward his fellow men was in accordance with God's standards. He wasn't a phony. He was practicing his good deeds just for show. No, he quietly and consistently obeyed God even when people wasn't looking. In a word, he is authentic. Simeon is authentic. Secondly, it says he was devout. What do you mean by that? Devout means to be reverent. Devout means to be careful. So it means Simeon wasn't careless about his spiritual life. He was very intentional in cultivating his walk with God. That's a pious person, righteous and devout. And thirdly, he was filled by the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit is mentioned three times in verses 25 to 27. Verse 25 says the Holy Spirit was upon him, meaning he was filled by the Holy Spirit. Verse 26 says, had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, means the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, well, he was led by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 27 later said, he, was, he came in the Spirit into the temple. The Spirit guided him along the way. In, in a sentence, he was basically experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit. A person who is pious, is righteous, he's careful, he's devout, 
and he's filled by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says he was waiting, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation of Israel means he was looking for the comforter, the comfort of Israel, the savior of Israel. Simeon was looking for personal consolations too, of course, for his own salvation, awaiting for the Messiah, but also for the national deliverance that the Lord promised through his covenant with David and Abraham, that his descendants, David's descendants, will sit on his throne forever. They are all waiting for that Davidic Messiah that comes from a tribe of David. And Simeon is expecting, is waiting that God will deliver Israel. He has not given up believing that God will fulfill his promise. And this hope brings perspective to the present. He keeps waiting. He was waiting. Think about this. It's easy for you to sit there and me standing here and say, wait. But it wasn't easy for Simeon. Because Simeon's hope for a nation, Israel, was a nation whom God has judged over and over again. A nation that God changed strategies to woo her back. A nation whom God raised different spokesperson to warn, to guide, to teach, like prophets, like judges, like kings, but to no avail. And at the time of Jesus, the nation Israel has been destroyed for 500 years. Is there any hope left? Will the 400 years of silence without prophetic utterance since Malachi the prophet will be broken until now? But Simeon waited. He has only one item on his bucket list, to meet the Messiah face to face before I pass. That was his bucket list. And in many ways, I see that this year as we come together as people of God, not only us, but even those who don't come to church, we are waiting. We are waiting for COVID-19 to pass. We're waiting and hoping that Omicron will be the last variant. We are hoping that while we can eradicate the virus, but at least we can manage it better. We're waiting. Some of us are waiting for a leader with character. Others are waiting for a more civil society that at least we are nice to each other or nicer to each other. But waiting for people to live in peace with and respect for one another. We're waiting for crimes to go down. Waiting for neighborly love to rise. We are waiting as well. Everybody is waiting forever as long as we live in this world. And we wonder how long do we have to wait? November 21st, Waukesha, Wisconsin Christmas parade ended in a tragedy when an SUV plowed intentionally into the joyful celebration, killing six and wounded 62 others. Among the six killed, four were grandmothers. November 30th, Michigan High School shooting. A 15-year-old student shot and killed four students and injured seven others, including a teacher. You know, we all hope that Christmas this year will truly be a 
Silent Night, Holy Night, that favorite Christmas song with reunion dinner and exchange of gifts and homecoming. And, but over the years, we have come to realize that Christmas has often been bittersweet. And so is life. It has always been bittersweet. But you know what? We never stop longing. We never stop longing for better days to come. And John Piper says it this way, God prepares a person to receive Christ by stirring up a longing for consolation and redemption that can only come through Christ. And maybe this year, God is stirring in your heart for consolation, for comfort, for a comforter as well, for redemption as well. The reason for doing that is to open your hearts to Christ. And if you are Christians, to, to really draw you to Christ and to God. And this longing for consolation and redemption is what we need as well, not just Simeon. And in verses 27 to 32, Simeon finally got his wishes come true. He must be thrilled to have realized that God's promises come true because he was holding the consolation of Israel, the Messiah, in his arm. And the Bible says in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servants depart in peace according to your word. He, he was so happy, he, his wishes was fulfilled by God. And Pastor John MacArthur made this comment on Simeon at this moment that his hope filled, his joy complete, his heart at peace. Simeon was content to die. He was ready to go because his bucket list is finally fulfilled through Christ. And he sees salvation. He sees salvation in Jesus Christ, in a person. And Jesus came to save his people from their sins. And he says clearly that my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people in verse 31. This is a salvation for the, all the peoples of the earth. And even though the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, was born as a Jew, and the crucifixion and resurrection and ascension happened in or near Jerusalem, the salvation of Jesus Christ transcends ethnic, national, and cultural boundaries. And he says he's the light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. That's the whole world. Gentiles are non-Jews. Gentiles and Jews, that's the whole world. That's the salvation is for. He's the light of all, but he's the revelation to the Gentiles because the Gentiles will be brought into blessing through his ministry in a way they could have hardly imagined before His coming. Jesus' disciples will reach out to the Gentile nations by preaching the gospel of peace, turning violence into servanthood, barbaric acts into civic acts, idol worship into worshiping the creator of the universe, gender discrimination into mutual respect, he overturned slavery, elevated the sanctity of life and human values. He's the light to the Gentiles, but he's also the glory to Israel. For through him, 
they will perform their service of ministry to the world. All eyes will be drawn to Israel through what her Messiah achieves. Jesus is the magnet that makes Israel great and draw people to the attention of this small nation. When the promises of God came, they came through the promised one of Israel, the Messiah. So the salvation has a global impact. And naturally for us as a church, responding to that is that we, we want to continue to seek mission partners. We have confirmed to Mongolia and also Indonesia outreach, uh, but we are looking for three others to work together because the gospel, the salvation, has global impact. It's for the world. And of course, we are also thinking about church planting. You know, three or four years ago, we were mentioning church planting somewhere in LA, maybe east of LA or any place the Lord will lead us. But we're going to drop out of the radar screen because as we were talking about church planting, we also started and broke ground for the church building. And we find it to be too difficult to hold a church building program and also church planting. It will be you know, self-defeating in some ways. So we thought we'd just wait a little bit and put the church planting in a, bur uh, in, in a back burner. Now that our building is about to be completed, we begin to talk about church plant. The last church plant that we had in Acadia has become independent about seven years ago. Now it's time for us to think about the next church plant as the Lord prepares. So pray together with us as we respond to Simeon saying that the salvation is for all peoples and we want to continue to reach out to others over there. And thirdly, is something that may be a little bit of uh, a, a party pooper. Jesus' ministry brings conflicting outcomes. You see, so far, Jesus came in from a good background. No problem with that. The salvation of the whole world, we welcome that. Uh, but this point, Jesus' ministry brings conflicting outcome, may be a little bit unpopular. And that teaching is hard to swallow. But this is what the Word of God says. In verses 33 to 35, his father and his mother marvel at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, that is not very popular. You know, from the first point and the second point, it has been very positive, upbeat, God is good, blessed us, universal, you know, salvation comes to the world, but now it comes to this. Do we have the end in a you know, negative note? But this is not about negative notes. This is the truth, that Jesus' ministry brings conflicting outcomes. There are three outcomes. First, fall and rise of many in Israel. Because Jesus will determine the destiny of everyone. Some will fall into judgment when they refuse the Savior of the world, and others will have eternal life because they embrace the Savior of the world. Jesus is the rock that causes some to stumble. If you remember in Matthew 21, the parable of the tenants, um, you know, the, the, the vineyard 
owner has planted the vineyards and rented out, leased it to different tenants. And when he sent servants to collect the fruits, you know, they beat him up and, and abused him. He sent more, they abused more and beat up more. And finally, he sent his son. And thinking that he will respect the son of the owner, but, you know, they look at the son and say, hey, that's the heir. He will inherit the vineyard someday. Let's kill him and take over the vineyard. Of course, the owner came back and eliminate all the bad tenants and then find others who are open, who are willing to work with the owner. And of course, this is a, this is a parable warning the religious leaders in, in Israel that you need to be open to the Messiah. Otherwise, the gospel will go to the, the Gentiles. And in that verses 42 and 44, it is so telling. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scripture the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Some will fall, and some will rise. The second sign is a sign to be opposed. Jesus will face rejection, insults, abuse, mockery, and many will oppose him. And we read that in the gospel story on the last weeks of Jesus and throughout his ministry. And thirdly, says, saying to Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul. Mary will experience the distancing of Jesus from his priorities in ministry as a Messiah. And you remember in Luke chapter 2, verse 49, when Jesus went to his parents on a feast of Passover at the age of 12 and went missing for three days. And when they found him, he, he was talking to the teachers in the temple. And when the parents expressed their frustration, Jesus said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house. And John chapter 2, verse 4, we preached on that a few weeks ago. The wedding at Cana, Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come. You see that? You, you sense that distancing? You feel that distancing? And Matthew chapter, two, uh, chapter 12, verses 48 to 50, when Jesus' family, family members wanted a word with him when he was preaching to the crowd, Jesus stretched out his hand toward his disciples. He said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You see that distancing. And of course, Mary's suffering culminated at the cross as he watched Jesus suffer and died in John chapter 19. And it says the reason for all this is the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The responses to the Messiah, the way you react to the Messiah will be revealed and the outcomes will also be accordingly. As John chapter 1 verse 5 says, Jesus was a light shining in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And same way in John chapter 3 verse 19, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and, there, and this is a judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. 
Those are the consequences when they were living in darkness without receiving the light of the world, Jesus, the Messiah. You know, I like the way Tim Keller reminds us that Jesus has caused two kinds of conflicts. One, He causes conflicts among people. The exclusiveness of Christian faith and our conviction that Jesus is not just one of the ways, but He is the only way, will be offensive to modern men and women who champion tolerance and diversity, but in a self-serving way. You must tolerate me, my way, but not the other way around. If I don't like your way, I don't have to tolerate your way. And that's a Christian way that they don't tolerate. We respect diversity. If the diversity falls within my comfort level, but if I don't like your diversity, I just ostracize you. And that's the kind of diversity and that's the kind of uh, world that we are living today. And we are seeing more and more of that in our world today, in the marketplace, in your schools, and in the public square. Conflicts among people. And secondly, Tim Keller says he caused conflicts within people. When we became Christians, he says, many conflicts has more or less been resolved by the gospel, like to find an identity while our identity is in Christ. To prove yourself, we don't need to prove because Jesus has fully accepted you. To find meaning in life while we find it in Jesus Christ. To, to find contentment while we find contentment in Christ as well. He is all sufficient. But the new peace that Christ brings come with conflicts. A new set of conflicts for Christians. And let's consider two of them. Is that God's peace, first of all, God's peace comes after the inner conflict of repentance. Repentance is like antiseptic. You pour antiseptic onto a wound, it stings, but it heals. Without pain, it's no healing. And that's how repentance works. For repentance to happen, you have to acknowledge your weakness, admit things that you don't want to, after which your inner turmoil will give way to peace of forgiveness and peace of reconciliation. It will hurt your pride, hurt your ego, and hurt your self-righteousness, but that's the only way to restore relationship with God. An inner conflict with yourself through repentance. But secondly, Killer says, God's peace comes after the inner conflict entails by submission. There is conflicts in submission as you try your best to surrender yourself to God. As Paul says in Romans chapter 6 through 8, there will be tussle within you between the old self and the new self. The, the old self wants you to be your own master, but the new self wants you to let God be God, submit to God. And that fight will often be very intense. And peace will reign in your heart when you finally surrender to the new self by saying, not my will, but your will be done. And how many of our interpersonal conflicts, marital conflicts, fall into those conflicts? Until you surrender to one another 
by surrendering to God until you are willing to admit and repent, then peace will be restored. You know, Simeon is telling us this Christmas that we should not be surprised to face hostility for Jesus' sake because they are conflicting outcomes. And we get through it by looking at the cross and learn from Jesus in how He brought peace through the agony of the cross. And you remember Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. And looking to Jesus, the, the, the author say, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him. Think about Him. Meditate on Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider Him. Meditate on Jesus and the cross of Jesus. And that's how we can bring peace to ourselves and be able to face the hostilities that is increasing around us. So today, I just want to summarize this message and remind you and me that Jesus is the long-expected Savior who will reconcile us to God the Father for the glory of God. He is the long-expected Savior. Why preach Simeon? Because most of us are not the major figure in the narrative of life, like Simeon. He's not the main character, and we are not the main character in many ways, but we can relate to Simeon. And most of us spend our life waiting. We're youth waiting to graduate. Those graduates to have an ideal job. And then a life partner, build a family, waiting for kids to grow up, waiting to save enough for retirement. And other times we wait for reconciliation, a breakthrough, an opportunity, a better days to come for the final exit. And then what else? That's all you can do. Just wait. But through the cross of Jesus, He has conquered sin and death. He changed everything by taking upon Himself the penalty of our sins. He reconciles us with God the Father. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. Do you believe this? Because we believe. So we continue to wait. But now we wait with hope. We are waiting for the second coming of Christ. We're waiting to be reunited with our loved ones who passed before us. We're waiting, just like Simeon. But we know that we will see it to become a reality because our faith is in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, more than 10 years ago, I was in Singapore teaching in the Bible College, Singapore Bible College. And almost every year, I will come back to L.A. Uh, for Christmas. And that particular year, I think it was one day on the 24th or 23rd before Christmas, I, I received an urgent call from Singapore. And they informed me that the wife of one of our professors, whose family were also spending Christmas in the West Coast, she has died of aneurysm very suddenly. She, she was born with a weakened artery, and one is burst, 
there's no way to revert it. And the doctor says, even in the operating room, if that happened, we may, we may not be able to save her. And of course, the Bible college asked me, would I be able to go up and spend time with the family? So after we settled our children with friends, we went up on the same day very quickly and, and arrived there in the evening, tried to find a place. It was not easy to find. It was in a small town by the lake, uh, more like a retirement community, uh, very uh, a rural area. And finally, we found and spent time with the bereaved family. And, and I have to say that that was the toughest Christmas I've ever spent. Words escape us when we are dealing with deep sorrows. As pastors, we spent time crafting words together, crafting words to articulate so that we understand God's Word. But those were the moments that you have nothing to say. Really, you have nothing to say. We were there just to be present, to be with them. We were there to just listen, and, and we were there to pray together. The next, the next day was Christmas, and I remember that Christmas meal. It was a prayer by one of the family members. And I, I can't remember all the detail of the prayer. It was a very short prayer, but I just remember this sentence, Lord, we don't know what to say. We don't know what to say. That I remember. Lord, we don't know what to say. It was, not, it was definitely not a holy night and a silent night. It was a difficult Christmas. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace of them. Jesus is also the Emmanuel who dwells in their hearts. After that sad episode, the professor overcame, overcome the grief. He emerged stronger. He remarried. And he returned to the mission field. Thank God. And after that episode, the two girls, the children, dealt with their own griefs. They emerged stronger and moved on to graduation and have family and have their respective careers. Because the Prince of Peace is not an outside person. The Prince of Peace entered their hearts and dwell with them in Emmanuel, God with us. And they were able to spend the most difficult Christmas gone through that, emerge stronger, and continue to celebrate Christmas because of the Messiah. And this Christmas, I want to invite you to consider, to invite the Prince of Peace to come into your heart. He is not just a historical figure. He is not uh, someone whom your spouse love and worship and you come along. It's not someone that your parents told you all those years since you're growing up in Sunday school and now he's still that figure. He is not someone whom you have learned and, and heard in the church for many, many years and yet he never entered your heart. There's no encounter. There is no meeting. And this is a time that I want to invite you to open your hearts. Because unless the Prince of Peace dwell in your heart and become your Emmanuel, God with us, that Emmanuel, that blessing, will never be able to come to you. Friends may comfort you. Your spouse may walk with you. 
The church might be able to surround you, but ultimately it is Christ who is able to bring that peace. In those difficult times when you are speechless, words escape you, and He will whisper through the Holy Spirit of His comfort and His strength and say, it will be okay. It's painful. It will be okay. It's antiseptic. It's painful, but it will heal because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we just want to thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Lord, for the message from Simeon. Because in many ways, we are like Simeon. We are waiting. We are waiting. But because the Prince of Peace has entered our hearts, we are waiting with anticipation and we are waiting with hope. Hope in the Emmanuel. Hope in the Savior of the world. Father, I pray that the hearts of believers today will be awakened and, and to, to be drawn unto our Savior in a new way and say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Lord Jesus, I will walk with you. I want to prioritize you in my life. Lord, I want to pray for our college students. They have gone out the world in some ways and begin to explore and they see different things and they begin to experience with different things. Lord, I pray that this Christmas day, you will speak to them and say, come back to me, return to me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. Lord Jesus, I pray that for seekers who are in our midst, sitting there listening to God's word, after so many years or after or, or this is the first encounter, Lord, I pray that the hearts may be softened and open and say, I need Jesus. We all need Jesus, but I need Jesus because Jesus is still outside my heart. He hasn't entered. I want to invite him to enter. And I pray, Lord, that this is the best Christmas gift that they will receive. Lord, as we face a new year, it will be a difficult new year. Uncertainty will reign. But Lord, our certainty is in Christ. Our comfort is in our shepherd. Our confidence is in God's word. So teach us to know how to press on by faith and not by sight. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.